Hey, guess what, Rockheads? Progress Telerik wants to send someone to build. So they're having a contest. Step one is to sign up and learn about the new innovative modern UI tools they'll be announcing at Build. By registering, you'll be entered to win a full conference pass to Microsoft Build plus a $500 travel stipend. They're also giving away three Telerik DevCraft UI licenses. And for .NET Rocks listeners, they'll also be giving away a Telerik DevCraft UI license every week. All you have to do is register at buildcontest.pwop.me. That's buildcontest.pwop.me. Progress offers the leading platform for developing and deploying mission-critical business applications. The creator of the award-winning Telerik.net and Kendo UI, JavaScript user interface components and controls, reporting solutions, and productivity tools, Progress offers all the tools developers need to build high-performant modern apps with outstanding UI. Go now to buildcontest.pwop.me and sign up to win. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Back here for April for more stuff. Yeah. More spring stuff. You know, we're recording this still in March. It's March 22nd. And we were supposed to have a big nor'easter here. This yeah. has been like the fourth one this in three weeks. This one was a dud where I live. Well, we, you know, funny, we got threatened for snow in Vancouver as well and just rain. And I much prefer rain. You don't have to shovel rain. I much prefer no precipitation, actually. <laughs> I've had enough, actually. Oh, the, the upside to the precipitation is it knocks down my allergies. The, as uh, soon as it gets warm at the, at the end of winter, mm. the cedar pollens come out and it's just murder for me for about two weeks. And then you get those negative ions in the air after it rains and it feels so good when you're yeah, breathing in. Yeah. yeah, that's good that stuff. and better living through chemistry. Many, <laughs> many drugs. <laughs> okay. Well, let's roll the music for Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, man, what do you got? Uh, this is sent to us by an alert listener, and uh, it, it was Alexander Taran. Mm -hmm. It's a, a website called codepen.io. And codepen.io is sort of like the ultimate HTML, CSS, JavaScript playground. Cool. Yeah, it's all real time. So you just start typing HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, and you get a preview pane, and you interact with it. And it's a, a really interesting way to to do to get ideas across. And they basically the the link uh, 1533.pwop.me goes to uh, a little they call them pens, a pen that Alexander actually did for us, where he put in a data list. Carl Richard dot net rocks and then with values better know a framework. <laughs> nice. But if you just go to codepen.io, you'll see all about what it is. And you know, they they market it as a social platform for for uh you know for sharing ideas and working on things together. You know, what I like about this right away is this whole real-time visualization of your CSS changes. Because oh, yeah. CSS is the thing I still struggle with. Yeah, who doesn't? I mean, yeah. you know, it's 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 very powerful, but it is kind of um, abstract, and and it's great to be able to just mess around with stuff and not yeah. have to you know refresh all the time. Exactly, just to yeah. tinker with it. This sort of real time. This is cool, dude. I like this. Thank you. Yeah, it's sort of like you know WebSockets meets Visual Studio. Well, the Visual Studio has a thing now. 
right? Where you can you can collaborate in real time. Yeah, and and in docs, yeah. docs.microsoft.com, they've got that whole embedded code editor and mm. executor. So you know, you know that whole zero install. So you'd like to play with .NET, here you go. Better living through Signal R. That's what yeah. I call it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. Love All right, it. who's talking to us, my friend? I uh, grabbed a comment off of show 1528. Also in March, that's the one we did with Christos Matskus talking mm -hmm. about Azure success stories. So I know we're going to talk a little bit more about Azure today. And Scott Mutlow says, this podcast felt very close to home for me. I had to laugh when Christos described their solution for fetching data from a file server using a logic app to put files into blob storage for processing by Azure functions. Mm. I had just wasted four days trying to figure out how to initiate SSH from within an Azure function. Ugh. And I wondered if it was even possible considering someone from Microsoft had to use a similar solution to what I ended up with. Is file SSH or is S FTP, a feature sorely missed from Azure Functions, or has it been left out due to inherent security issues? Hmm. You know, why is it we still struggle to move files around? Yeah, why is it? It's because it's something you and I deal with all the time, right? I mean, how, how many different ways have you written code over the past few years to move our show files around? Just about all of them. Every platform, browsers, C Sharp, WPF, Silverlight before that. Yeah, it's just it's just one of those things you have to do, and, and unfortunately, some APIs require, um, you know, blobs from this platform or that platform, right. and so you do have to move stuff around. There isn't like one source of truth, but I I am really enamored with Azure Files, yeah, which are just like SMB file share files that you just set up, and everything else in your operating system, system IO, and all that just works. So yeah. I do like that. It's sort of like the best of blob storage plus, you know, the ease in, of access where you don't have to just copy files and then access them. And then, you know, they're just right there. And, and I wonder if one of Scott's struggles here is because clear if he's thinking FTP, he's an old schooler. Yeah. And so it's like not looking at the new school ways. But I, I mean, it, this is from a couple of days ago. So hopefully he's worked his, his troubles out. But it just made me smile when I saw this comment because it's like, you know, we still have to move files around. That's life. And you know, there's nothing wrong with F FTP so long as you have no firewall issues because right. you, you use passive mode if you want to connect to the server. You use two connections and you use active mode if you want it to call back to you, which generally there's the firewall issue in right. on windows anyway you get a box coming up and says hey this guy well, wants and, to connect to you, you and especially around. when you're talking about azure functions i just don't imagine them surfacing that functionality that way you've got to use the azure azure file approach that's just the right thing to do so scott uh, we feel your pain and i think we may laugh at it just a little bit but not too much but we feel it only because it's familiar so thank you so much for your comment a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. Because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We finish them in pen. <laughs> pen. <laughs> no, we oh, don't do them I in pencil. I out on my screen again. Dang it. <laughs> All right, now let's introduce Vishwas Lele back to the show. He's been here many times. Vishwas is an Azure developer and a regional director, and he's been on the show many times, as I said. Welcome back to the show, Vishwas. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. You're welcome. Thanks for being here. We always have interesting things to learn from you. You're, you're a font of knowledge, especially about cloud computing, and we usually talk about Azure. What are we talking about today? 
Well, we are talking about uh, something that is related to Azure, but sits uh, sits uh, above Azure, if you will, uh, something called the business application platform. Hmm. And is that a Microsoft product? It is. Yes, it is indeed. Okay. And so this is a service that you can... Um, that runs on Azure that you can sort of sign up for? Yes. Uh, you know, it, you may not be familiar with the term business application platform. Uh, that was sort of a trick uh, intro, but uh, I'm sure you've heard of things like Power Apps, oh, Flow, sure. Common Data Service. Yeah. Those services constitute together what Microsoft has been calling business application platform. Okay. I'm, I'm looking at uh, on the web here. We'll, we'll have a link to it, but where's a good place to start? Is it just the business apps or Microsoft business platform, businessplatform.microsoft.com? I think it's microsoft.com slash BAP, business application platform, BAP. Okay. So give us the, uh, the, high, uh, the high visibility overview here, the 30,000 foot view. So the the idea really here is that uh, there's this big movement around low-code development where uh, you can write these kinds of applications without having to crack open Visual Studio. Right. And the idea is that you can write this application once and you can target multiple platforms. Uh, Pro developers can use it, but also the ability to bring citizen developers and maybe even power users to come in and make these applications. So right. one aspect of it is low-code development. And the other aspect, of course, is to take your existing backend data sources, if you will. You might have Office 365, SharePoint, you may have Dynamics, you may have Salesforce, hundreds of these different backend systems that you may have. Right. Are you able to weave these information systems together and quickly create these multi-platform applications. Mm. That's, in a sense, what it is. And there was a big development just yesterday where uh, the, the Power Apps team announced uh, their spring update for, for 2018. And there was a very important announcement there that up until now, we could develop Power Apps, which mm. were called the Canvas-style Power Apps. You open up uh, an editor mm-hmm. called the Power App Studio mm-hmm. and design your app, drag and drop on the Canvas and design your app. And internally, it will generate an app for you for any platform of your choice. But they announced something very interesting, which is the concept of a model-driven power app, Hmm. which uh, you can essentially, you are creating an app that talks to a business process in the back. And what they've done is they're leveraging a Dynamics platform in the back Mm -hmm. and combining that with the Power Apps model to to create this model-driven application concept yeah okay and so the the idea is that you can have a a clear separation between business logic and uh, services and just further break those things down right the the idea is uh, that separation the idea also is that uh, you know even though there's been a lot lot of new capabilities coming to the azure platform as we have seen right whether it is uh, serverless compute in the form of Azure Functions, whether mm. it is, you know, Kubernetes. So there's a platform as a service play has been growing, you know, with leaps and bounds. But at the same time, you know, ability to just write applications that combines all of these backend data sources still remains difficult. Yeah. So what's happening is we, we've created this, this gap between what 
line of business applications that our businesses want mm -hmm. and how much IT and development organizations and product can produce, mm. right? So how do you sort of bridge this gap? Because, you know, these businesses are demanding these new applications. Data is spread out more diverse. So can we create a layer above this platform as a service layer, okay, where you can connect to these backend data sources and then in a in a canvas-driven manner or in a model-driven manner, create these applications quickly. That's ultimately the idea here. So we're talking about when we have data that's being accessed by Dynamics and Office 365 or just any kind of data sources that are out there, you define them with a business application platform, but there's also UI uh, elements there too, right? That is correct. That's correct. So, uh, you know, in a in a canvas-driven uh, approach, and for your listeners who've been using Power Apps, I, I don't want to confuse anybody. If you've been using Power Apps for the last 18 months, mm. since the announcement, uh, you've been building what they're calling canvas-driven apps. So, you know, you go into uh, a Power App Studio, and you can you can choose the Windows Store version of it or a web version of it. And there are a pre-baked set of controls and layouts available to you. So you go and drag and drop them. You can also take advantage of a platform native cap capability like a camera uh, or, a, or some sort of a sensor. Mm. And you, you draw all that out and you essentially uh, bind it to a data source of your choice. And once you've done these two things, you can then publish this application and by virtue of the fact that Power Apps is an app on on iOS and Android and Windows and what have you, mm. the application that you just publish becomes available to these users instantaneously without having to go through, uh, you know, the App Store and trying sure. to get your mobile app approved. That's a nice feature, and and also I imagine HTML, right? It works in a browser. These apps, yeah, that that's that's a very important aspect of it. So it it works across uh, Android iOS, Windows devices, and the web. So you're saying there's UI controls that you just create these applications with? Yes. Uh, and they just go everywhere? Just native? That's correct. Well, huh? well not native. It is it is converting into, uh, you know... Hybrid on the mobile device. It is a hybrid option, right? So so it, it, is, it is leveraging, uh, you know, HTML under the covers, sure. and then it is, it is leveraging, uh, you know... For the platform-specific capabilities you're using, it is leveraging those native libraries, but it is it is still giving you an experience. Mm. You know, by by being able to give you a, a set of controls which can work cross-platform, they're giving you this ability to work across, target these multiple platforms. And it looks like the type of application that it's very you know uh, good at doing. Uh, letting you do is the the kind where your your employees or your your field workers or select customers you know might want insight uh, that kind of thing right I mean just pure pure up business apps right absolutely I mean you're not going to write uh, you know an Instagram app using yeah. this technology right nor uh, should you stop that no not not sure <laughs> <laughs> do something else <laughs> true. Uh, <laughs> I like this sort of mentality of start with your existing data sources first. Right. Right. That it's the stuff you've already got in existing databases, the stuff you've already got in Dynamics, it's the mm. stuff you've already got in, in Office. 
And this is being able to assemble data from multiple sources into a view. That, that, that is exactly right. And they have, by the last count, and that number keeps changing, something like 160 connectors right. wow. to, to, to various services. You name a service, name a SaaS service, they probably have a connector. And then even more interestingly, you can just drop a gateway which allows you to go talk to an on-premises service that you may have, maybe a SQL server residing on-premises or maybe a web service or something else. And then, and then you can bring custom connectors. So if you have an API that has a swagger definition, that can be rolled into a connector as well and made available to power apps. You know, Vishwas, yesterday I was uh, running on the treadmill and I dropped a gateway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but i I do appreciate this idea of cloud focused development yep right what if you were going to build a tool to to work on cloud development Hmm. using the stuff that's already out there i mean i've got no problem with visual studio but it's lower level in this my first flash when i think power apps is like light switch Mm -hmm. but uh this is, I mean, light switch and, and at one point, light switch and power apps were kind of competitors. Light switch is more or less gone away, it seems these days. I can't really find anyone working on it. But then uh, power apps has kind of ascended. That's true. That is true. And, and you know, I, I like to think of power apps. This is just my opinion. This is not, not uh, I'm not speaking for the product team or anything like that. You know, you can't think of a tool in isolation like Power Apps, a low-code tool. You have to think about it as a platform perspective. You know, it is the connectors. Right. It is the development environment. It is this ability to use your Office 365 subscription to share these apps, to collaborate, and things like that. That's what. And and then now, yesterday's announcement, uh, taking that into account, being able to take advantage of Dynamics 365 and the entities that are already there and the backend logic that you can embed. And now you have a full-fledged, you know, what Gartner calls an APaaS platform, not platform as a service, but an application platform as a service right. that allows you to build these applications quickly. I want to give you an example of, uh, you know, we, we left that thread earlier yeah, yeah. about the kinds Types of apps, of apps you want yeah. to build. Sure. Um, and before we go there, just uh, if we could pause for a second to hear this very important message. When you're building an application, you need it to be fast, secure, and always evolving. With Kubernetes Engine on the Google Cloud Platform, developers can deploy fully managed, containerized apps quickly and easily. Google has been running production workloads in containers for over 15 years and they build the best of what they learn into Kubernetes, the industry-leading open-source container orchestrator. Kubernetes Engine combines automatic scaling, updates, and reliable self-healing infrastructure with open-source flexibility to cut down development cycles and speed up time to market. Learn more about Kubernetes Engine online at g.co slash getgke. That's g.co slash get G-K-E. All right, we're back. It's Carl Franklin, uh, Richard Campbell, .NET Rocks, Vishwas Lely is here. We're talking about um, business application platform, Microsoft, and he was just about to uh, give us an, a good example of a, an application that fits perfectly in this platform. Yeah, so uh, thank you. The, the application that uh, uh, I want to talk about is uh, this happened uh, almost... 
18 months back or so, Microsoft, the local Microsoft office here was going to have a sales summit, a regional sales summit. And at the last minute, they realized that they wanted an app uh, for the attendees to be able to track sessions, mm. to be able to collaborate with each other. And all of that data, uh, and they also wanted to upload pictures and there were some approval things, and literally a week or two before this event, right? So it's too late to go crack open Visual Studio and build that application, although I'm sure you, some of your listeners would, would take on that challenge. I could do it. Sleep is for the week. That's not me. So right. uh, what, what we suggested was, okay, so where is the data? Where, where is, is there a schedule for all these events? Oh, yes, there is. There's a SharePoint list for that. All right. Uh, is what are the other sources of information? Where do you want to store the images? Where we we want to sh- store it in a media library within SharePoint? Where is the approval? Here's the approval. So looks like you have these sources of information, and you need to them to be tied together. So opening up Power App Studio and then connecting it to SharePoint, and then sort of binding it to that list data, and then binding it to the controls very quickly gave us a way to show people uh, all the schedules upload pictures, uh, do uh, approvals and things like that. Uh, so this is a great example. All the attendees were, uh, you know, Microsoft employees. So yep. being able to share this app was just a matter of clicking a button saying, share this app with these people. And they they go get power apps from a store of their choice mm. or the device of their choice. And now this app shows up and they can pin that app and get access to that very quickly and look at the schedule, make comments and things like that. This was literally done in one week from from the time classifying all of this uh, requirements and then binding them and then putting it out. Yeah. And, and where do they deploy the app to, Vishwas? Are they putting it in the store or is it their own local thing? So, you know, what they're doing is, you know, this is where uh, we should talk about, you know, wh- what is what is a service doing when when we talk about low-code development? What is the role of the service? You know, what is Power App Service providing? Why why do you keep saying this is in the cloud? Because, hey, I could have written this application on an ID of my choice and pushed it to a store of my choice. And Mm -hmm. so what is the service providing? Well, what the service is providing is, is enabling you all of the things that we would have to do as developers in terms of CI, CD, and ALM. Mm. It's that service providing. So you go in, you create a connection or two. Let's say you connect to SharePoint. Then you open up the app. You get a control. Let's say you get a gallery control. You bind the data coming from a SharePoint list to a gallery control. And now you're happy with the gallery control. Let's just say this is a one-screen app. And now you save that. Now, by virtue of saving it, that version of the app has been saved. And people who... Uh, within your organization who have been given contribute rights to this app Mm. can now just look at the app and provide you some feedback, right? And then once you're happy, you iterate it a few times, you click publish to the version that you see fit, and that app then becomes available to anybody who has read access to this application. Mm. So it's, it's really a version control distribution mechanism that's all built in. I like that. Inside the service. I like that because, you know, the, that's where we usually turn to third party tools and whole, you know, chains of products and stacks for deployment and all that stuff. And it, it's great that this is just all built in. 
Are, are there any um, holes in it where you're going to need third-party tools? Yeah, so, you know, with any of these tools, uh, and we, we have uh, heard of these Power App citizen developer tools for, this is not a new concept. We have heard right. this over and over again, right? right. Uh, I think uh, one of the challenges that you run into those with these tools is you you reach a point where you reach a cliff and, well, I need a specific customization that that you're not providing. I need a control that you're not providing. I need to write a business logic. And we should take a moment to talk uh, uh, about how do you code in this low-code environment. We'll come back to that in a second. Okay. But to specifically answer your question, you want to do some complex calculation. Uh, you don't want to necessarily write that calculation inside that Power App itself, yeah. right? The language itself is not expressive enough. Power Apps is a client-side technology. You don't want to bring that data um, on a device like that. So I think one thing that is different this time around is there is this extensibility story. So you you want to write a complex piece of 200 lines of code, which you never should be coding inside this low-code application. Well, guess what? Write it in C-sharp or or, or or Node or what have you, and drop it in an Azure function, right? Right, right. And then and invoke it from there. So that's that's the idea. So, you know, some of my colleagues are saying, hey, why are you interested, Vishwas, in this low-code tool, right? I mean, you know, isn't doesn't it become challenging and limiting at some point? And I said, you know, even though I'm a pro developer, I'm constantly looking for tools which will give me, reach me to a point that first pass as quickly as possible. And then we can figure out where we need to drop down and go into... Uh, you know, platform that give us a richer capability. Mm. And I totally get this idea that we'd be able to build backend services in .NET. I guess the question is, can you get under the hood of the client side code? So you, that's a great question. So let, let's just talk about how the client side codes comes about. So what they have done essentially with Power Apps is they have created an expression language. Uh, which looks very similar to an Excel expression language. Okay, mm -hmm. so there there are two ways you can program in Power Apps, and now bear with me. This is more conceptual. We'll come to a more practical aspect in just one minute. Okay, right? one is the concept of a declarative code, right? So much like in Excel, you want to take whatever is in cell A1, multiply it with cell A2, and then store the results in cell A3. Right. So you have a bunch of formulas. You, you write them. And by the way, if you want to populate cell A A3, nowhere in Excel can you just say that, hey, make A3 something. You actually have to go write that formula in A3 and say where the data is coming from. Mm -hmm. So essentially, you are creating a, a sort of a declarative model. You're just saying that you want these things to happen. And the engine under the covers, whether it is Excel or Power Apps, is constantly evaluating these data expressions. And if something changes in Excel, it is a cell changing. In Power Apps, it is a grid control or a, or a gallery control, some value changing somewhere, causing a change in some other part of the application or another screen. So that's constantly happening. That's a declarative model. And there's a rich library of functions. You'll find it interesting that that library has a big overlap with Excel functions because, you know, the designers of Power Apps really were going towards a model where think Excel, think declarative logic, mm -hmm. right? Now, declarative model is not enough because 
you need to write imperative code if you're building an app. What if you want to click a button and want the event receiver to do something for you, make a web service call, for, right. for instance, right? There is no button and um, on-click method in Excel. Well, there is. Uh, it's called macros, but but I, we're not talking about macros. Right, right. In Power Apps, there is this declarative logic as well, where in you know start with uh, declarative, and then there is imperative logic where you can say, hey, when somebody clicks on this button, make a call to this web service. So you have flexibility in terms of uh, what you can do with declarative code. There are some really powerful expressions like a patch command, which allows you to go talk to any data source of your choice. But if you are, there are variables, of course, uh, there's a screen level variable, there's a global variable, there are collections. So as developers, you know, it probably take us a couple of hours to understand the programming constructs there, but there is no way to extend the language itself uh, or or bring your own controls at this point. Right. Okay. That's fair. That's that's happened to where where we are, and it's it's actually its own WYSIWYG Studio, its own IDE, right? This is not you don't build Power Apps in in Visual Studio. No, in fact, there's a there's a very nice web designer. This, this is just a web editor. That's my okay. actually way of building apps. There's also a Windows Store app, and then there is an equivalent web based editor for Power Apps, and I tend to use that because you know I, I may be using it from any platform. Right, so yeah. it, so you have a zero install way to build these things, as well as something you can install on your machine if you want. That's right. Very cool. That's right. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, I must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to take a four-stroke overhead cam power shredder to all my old scuzzy hard drives. Oh, wait a minute. Nobody can read them anyway. They're scuzzy. <laughs> I'll just throw them away. Yes, I guarantee you can't find a Terminator for it. Right. <laughs> Terminator, what's that? <laughs> it's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription from DevExpress to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. You know, everyone knows that DevExpress has great desktop controls, but their web tools are simply amazing. They have a collection of HTML JavaScript controls called DevExtreme. The heart of this product line includes powerful controls like grid chart, pivot grid, tree list, and scheduler. But DevExtreme also comes with more than 50 touch-optimized client-side controls. Data visualizers, navigators, editors, lists, dialogues, and notification controls. And general-purpose controls like filter builders, range sliders, file uploaders, scroll viewers, and more. And since they're all HTML5, JavaScript, and CSS, they include integrations with things like jQuery, Knockout, React, Ionic, and Angular. And DevExtreme controls also come with ASP.NET MVC and ASP.NET Core wrappers. But don't take our word for it. Go for a test drive right now at dx.netrocks.com. That's dx.netrocks.com. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Alan Sanborn. Golf clap for you, sir. Yeah. Way to go, Alan. And uh, Alan just won the D Experience subscription. That's a big pile of awesome from our friends over at DevExpress just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, 
and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And we also like to ask our guest, Vishwas, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? As always, I'm unprepared to answer this question, <laughs> but I was, at, I was at the MVP summit. And I saw some, you know, Scott Scott was doing his uh, Scott Go Unplugged, and, and he showed us this Make Code website where uh, you, you can, um, you know, program something and then buy a simple device and then and then download that uh, on that Make Code device. I've not explored it myself, mm. but it's very interesting. It would be lovely to get, and he said something like $14 or $20. It'd be lovely to get a collection of these devices mm. and then hand it out to kids because it, it really seemed interesting as to, uh, you know, oftentimes when we are doing this, uh, an hour of code, you're, you're teaching kids, you know, some basic programming, moving and moving a robot to the left or to the right or forward or mm. back, uh, being able to take that program and, and, and and drive a physical object using that program yeah. is what I understood of make code. So maybe buying several kits of those and handing out to elementary kids would be awesome. That would be awesome. It's funny. We've I've had a bunch of conversations recently with folks who want to get into classrooms and sort of get kids excited about programming. And the, and the, that common theme comes up again and again. You've got to make it a bit more physical. Even a flashing LED is better right. than just code running on a screen. But, and I recalled, I actually mentioned it to someone. I said, Carl did it with a drone. I did it with a drone. The impact of yeah. a drone taken off in a classroom, epic. I'm just surprised they let me do it. It was in <laughs> middle school and I had just cleared a little path and I had written, a, you know, five lines of code to say, you know, uh, drone dot take off, drone dot hover for three seconds, drone go forward for three seconds, drone stop and drone land. That's it. And, and kids were just amazed. But, but they were like, hey, can you run that into Tommy? We don't like him. <laughs> immediately in with the injuries. <laughs> yeah, they immediately looked at it as a weapon. You know, <laughs> they wanted to chase the teacher around the, around the classroom and all that. Can you put guns on that thing, man? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. But I think that's an, a very honorable thing to do. And kids are starving for this kind of direction from, from grownups. I, I was amazed when I did this talk, and I don't want to steal your thunder here, but I was amazed at showing kids Google Earth for the first time. They had never seen it. And, you know, we just assume that, you know, kids are hip and they, they know about these things, but they didn't know about, they didn't know about text. This was a couple of years ago, but they didn't know about speech to text, speech recognition. That blew them away. I just showed them things that were cool. And uh, I, I like that. I agree with uh, Richard. I think Microsoft, I was reading a Microsoft Research article. They, they call this physical computing. Right. right? Mm. This ability. I, I had not been familiar with this term till I read. It makes a lot of sense. You know, you're, you're teaching kids, uh, let's say, to make a virtual cat move forward or back. Being able to translate that program and then drop it on a physical object and then have that do that will exponentially increase the stickiness of of that exercise and kids would be interested they can put their hands around it so that makes a lot of sense yeah it's just engagement no no two ways about it uh i have funny i was just thumbing through the list of connectors available for power apps 
And look, there's SFTP. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so I may not be able to do it from a function, but I can do it from the client. Yeah. <laughs> Very funny. Can we talk about the broader platform here? Like, what Power Apps has clearly been around for a while. These new features are pretty powerful. Model-driven development, lots of interesting things here. So what is the business application platform part beyond Power Apps? So that's a great question. So Power Apps is, is one aspect of, of course, uh, whether it is canvas-driven apps or model-driven apps. Then you have Flow, which is a sister service to Power Apps. So if you're trying to write some sort of a workflow, approval, what have you, you can very quickly in a visual manner uh, design your workflows. And once again, you can take advantage of the connectors that we previously talked about. So you want to receive a message from Nest or Alarm.com and then take an action and then have a notification be sent into your Power Apps. You can do that. Right. So workflow, uh, the visual designer part, uh, which is the Power Apps canvas, uh, then you can have workflows on the server side, which manifest themselves as the, the model-driven apps. Mm. And then there is this notion of a common data service, which I have not, the term I have not used up until now. We had CDS up until now, uh, common data service, but with yesterday's announcement, CDS for app, it, it basically allows you to tap into the dynamics entities. So we used to have a notion of XRM, if you remember. Right. Uh, but you had these entities, and Dynamics is a powerful platform. It gives you all kinds of server logic mm. and workflow capabilities. So imagine that you want to take advantage of these server-side entities, uh, do some calculations and the validations on the server side, and quickly model out these entities. Uh, it is completely, you know, the benefit, of course, is that, you know, unlike, you know, let's say go to Azure SQL database, which is a great database as a service capability, it provides you a lot of features, but here, all you're doing is defining in terms of business entities and everything else is managed for you, and you can now bind it into the apps. So workflow, visual designer, server-side logic, extensibility, to put it all together. And then you have uh, ability to go to uh, you know Azure Functions and tap into any of those connectors. Think yeah. of this together and you start having all the tools that you need to start sort of building these applications for businesses. Where do logic apps fit in other than the fact that you, there's no restriction, you can use them as much as you want, but is there any overlap there? Yeah, so, so logic apps is the underlying technology for Flow. Right. Flow makes it really easy for you to use it. It is sort of the consumer skill, if you will, for logic apps. But if you wanted to write, you know, more uh, detailed workflows, you wanted to have more control over what identity uh, under which a certain workflow step is running, then you would drop down to Logic Apps. And it strikes yeah. me that the connectors for Power Apps are probably the same connectors for Flow. That is correct. That these, these things are all actually related code. That is correct. That is correct. So what I find interesting here is like we're we're used to lower level programming. Like I have actually looked at the SQL server that dynamic CRM uses, and you don't want to query that thing directly. Yeah. You know, but you could. <laughs> you could. If you hate yourself. You'd be confused. Right? There's the API level to CRM, and you can call the APIs directly, but they're pretty complicated too. And then there was the XRM approach, their own sort of coding language 
for, for pulling data. This is a layer above that, that now you're just saying, hey, when, an, when a new customer or new prospect is added to CRM, trigger this workflow. Right. So I, I just think it, it's interesting to me that we're just getting to higher level of abstractions. I, I don't know how we all feel about the citizen developer mindset. You know, because we quite possibly came from there in the first place, right? That we were folks that had other careers that then got interested in programming because we were trying to get something solved and then programming became more interesting than the career. It, it certainly takes the right kind of business person, don't you think, Vishwas? I mean, we've tried to give business people the ability to build apps many, many, many times. And, you know, the, generally it's the ones that are programming centric in the first place usually that that is true that is true that uh, you know you need some inclination towards programming concepts however simple they may be yeah to to be able to pull it off but like let me give you an example right you you're a business analyst uh, and you go to a sharepoint list and you know you're well versed with the sharepoint capabilities and how it works and you can customize things now imagine that there is a button sitting right there inside sharepoint which it is. And you can say, hey, create me a power app based on this list that I just defined. Yeah. And and rather than giving me the raw list experience, I want to create a subset view of this list. And then let me design this view and and you know make that available so that this power app, even though you know we've been talking about power apps as a as a mobile story, can now be embedded within SharePoint site itself. Hmm, nice. Imagine that. That that I find that many of the business analysts that we work with on the SharePoint side absolutely can do something like that. And, and not only that, uh, they click on, let's say, hey, I want to use this list as a data source and let me design a custom view of this list. And oh, by the way, I, I really need to, in addition to this, I need to show a Power BI uh, dashboard right, right, inside this app itself. So now I come into SharePoint and, and oh, by the way, somebody has already created this Power BI dashboard, but mm. I want to put these two things together. And that is something that you really don't have to know variables and loops and and debugging and things like that to be able to accomplish. Yeah. Let's talk about being able to turn this into an app that a, you'd hand to a developer. Can you get low-level access to these things? Do you want low-level access? Are there entry points? That kind of thing? Right. So, in this case, you cannot. In the past, we have tried that approach, and that that didn't work that well. I mean, the promise of mm. something like SharePoint Designer was that, you know, you can start in SharePoint Designer, and you can do what you can with it, and then at some point, you can take that, export it, and then import it into Visual Studio right. and then keep going. That sounded, this is my view again, mm. that sounded too good to be true, right? The artifacts that you started with in the SharePoint Designer were really not the artifacts that you want to base your Visual Studio project on, mm-hmm. right? Right. So, so, so that was a good story, but I don't know how in reality that was effective. So in this case, by saying that, no, this is an expression language, much like Excel, right? Uh, and you start here, but then you don't try to put, you know, detailed business logic here. So if you have that discipline and, you know, you can get hold of a pro dev and say, you know, write me this piece, drop it as a function and or, or as a flow or a logic app and just tell me how to just interact with it. 
that model will keep it simple. Mm-hmm. And I think probably a better model to go with. Yeah, and, and you, you obviously can create extensibility by building logic apps and functions and so forth. Sure. The UI itself has got to be written in this form with this tool. Right. And, hey, it generates to web, Win 10, iOS, and Android. Like, try and be unhappy. Well, what if you wanted to, like, tweak the CSS or something in some way that you can't through the tool? Or maybe there isn't any way, that, anything you can't do. You, you cannot tweak, at least in its current form, you cannot tweak the CSS. I mean, you can't do things, uh, you know, there were a few apps that were that were shown at Ignite, for mm-hmm. example. I, I think there was an app from Pepsi uh, where, you know, you have a field worker going around and, and trying to restock these supplies. And it looked like a very branded app. And, you know, there are tricks to be able to do that. You you just change the background to something and you place your controls in a manner that it makes you, gives you that impression of styling that app yeah. in that manner. Uh, yeah. I should say that, uh, you know, Power Apps, it's an interesting intersection between Excel and PowerPoint, huh. right? So much like in PowerPoint, you can come in and set your theme and it changes all your screens. That notion also applies here in Power Apps as well. Cool. Okay. Yeah, very good. Um, like I said, I'm always looking for the holes. Where are the where are the the brick walls? You know, where are the where where are the challenge points in the in its current incarnation? Right, and and I think that's how we developers tend to look at this. Yeah, uh, where is my, it going to blow up my, on me? Yeah, my my take would be that you know there's so much of of uh, business functionality you know somebody said that you know line of business applications are never complete never ever complete no matter how many resources you put on it right Right. so so i'm just thinking that you know you 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 have this traditional it organization with a certain budget certain capacity certain number of pro dev uh, capacity they can only build a certain number of applications right in the meantime I have all of these business users who are expecting this consumer-like experience. They want to pull up their uh, phones of their choice. They want to be able to uh, complete an action by themselves using the phone, right? And and now we've created this gap, and that gap is only widening, right? And what I also like, there's an interesting, and I'll, I'll send you a link to this so you can add to the show notes, uh, there was a podcast from MSR about, uh, you know, context switching and, you know, the problems associated with context switching. Uh-huh. And this, this idea that can you take a task and break it down to such a small granular level that it, uh, it is not context switching? So what does that mean? So I'm an information worker. I enter my office and, you know, I have four or five or ten applications that I have to deal with. I have to go to SharePoint to look at something. I have to go to a system of record, which may be a mainframe to look at my orders. I have to log into Dynamics to look at, uh, you know, my sales contacts Mm. and so on and so forth, right? Each one of that requires me to switch context and go to that system, take an action, copy something from there, move it to another application, right? That's just the reality. Now, if you can build something like a Power App, which grabs through the connectors all of the information that is needed for that context and make it available in an app, right? You know, for quick actions, you know, they need to approve something, they need to go look up something. All of that is available on their phones or tablet or or, or a web edit or a browser, what have you. Mm -hmm. It just starts to 
make a dent into this gap that we have created between the information worker expectations and what IT is able to produce. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I guess that's a roundabout way of saying, yeah, it does what it does. It does it really well. And uh, if you want something that it doesn't do, you're going to have to write yourself, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Same story. We have great tools. Xamarin is a great cross-platform technology. Absolutely. Right. Go yep. there. Yep. Very good. Vishwas, anything that we missed? Is there uh, so, some other thing that you want to talk about before we before we call it a show? No, I, I think there's been great questions. I, I think you've covered it all. So I appreciate the questions. Well, it, it you know, this uh, tool has the um, distinct pleasure of being one of these shows that uh, I immediately want to go check it out after hearing about it. Mm -hmm. And now I'm angry because I only have half an hour before we have to record the next show. <laughs> <laughs> and I really want to just go play with this thing. So. It's, so it's funny you say that. It's Carl. Uh, it's funny you say that. You know, remember I was talking about this this app that we built for the sales summit, regional sales summit. Uh -huh. The many people who started using this, they realized, is this a Microsoft technology? How is this app yeah. built? <laughs> right. So, so you know, I, I think I'm glad to hear what you just said. That you know, you want to go check it out, and I hope your listeners will do the same. Oh yeah, definitely. All right, Vishwas, thanks very much. It's always enlightening to talk to you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Richard. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a